0: Have you ever had somebody break a promise to you? Of course you have, we all have. We've all experienced broken promises. A parent promises a child, hey, tomorrow I'll play that game with you. Tomorrow comes, the game is never played, a promise broken. Someone tells you, hey, if you just lend me this money, I'll be sure to pay you back. The money's never repaid, a promise broken. You tell a friend something confidential, they they promise to you that they won't tell anybody else. But word gets out, you know how, a promise broken. A child makes a deal with their parents, say, if you just let me do this activity, then tomorrow I'll clean my room. The room's still a mess, a promise broken. So we've all experienced broken promises. In a culture like this, promises are broken all the time. Courtroom dockets are full of breached contracts, broken promises. And in a world like this, hope Can fade. But this morning, as we start this new Christmas time series, we're going to focus on a promise kept uh, the birth of this promised child, a child of hope. This morning, as we're starting this exciting series, we're, we're, we're kind of jumping in and looking at a child of laughter and how this child of laughter that stretched back almost all the way to the beginning of time, how he would foreshadow a coming child of hope. So, to understand the backstory of this child of laughter, we need to go back almost to the beginning. Okay, so in Genesis 1-1, in the opening of the Bible, we see that God created the heavens and the earth and it is good. In the first 11 chapters of Genesis, God gives us this history of of creation and then humanity's fall due to sin and the flood that took place and the Tower of Babel and the building of these nations. And we get this brief history of a large, large number of people. However, soon after the flood, man again forgets God and drifts into idolatry. But before knowledge of the Lord would just completely disappear from the earth, God stepped in again and he calls out a man by the name of Abram, later called Abraham. And in his sovereign grace, he separated Abram from his family that was living in the Ur of of the Chaldeans, just this family of idolatry idolatry, because this was to be a new beginning. In order to carry out God's ultimate plan of redemption through his promised son, Jesus Christ, he would begin by building this nation through this man named Abraham. As he began his plan, God, in a sense, he kind of set aside all the other nations of the earth, and he began to build one particular nation a nation that would begin with Abraham. God pulled Abraham away in a sense from just everybody else. And he began to focus on him and to build this nation. And he made Abraham a promise. It seemed like the most outrageous of promises. God promised Abraham land. He promised Abraham that he would have a son. And he promised Abraham that through this nation, that he would build through his lineage, through his family tree, that then all the other nations of the world would be blessed. I mean, this promise seemed so outrageous. But we see right from the beginning that the Bible is telling us this story about how God is going to redeem the world so that he will ultimately be seen as all in all and that he will get the glory. I mean, this is the overarching story of the Bible. And we see it right from the beginning in Genesis. For that to happen, however, redemption is critical. And so God's promise uh, to really set the stage for this would be for Abraham and his wife Sarah to have a son. This seemed impossible. So this was a child of promise because Abraham and Sarah, they were already old. Abraham was 75 when he got the news that he had to be pulled out from the land of the Chaldeans. And Abraham and Sarah, they didn't come from some long line of faith. They came from a line of idolatrous people. And so when God shows up in Genesis chapter 12 and he makes these promises to Abraham and he tells Abraham to leave the land of his fathers at 75 years years old. Well, Abraham and Sarah, they did. They they acted in obedience. It wasn't perfect obedience. Abraham drug his nephew Lot along, but they went. There was this faithfulness here. And after a long while, full of ups and downs, Abraham, he held on to those promises of God. And in Genesis 15, he asked God, 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 you've made all these promises But what have you done for me? Where is my son? He's still childless. And God, He reaffirms His promise. He takes Abraham outside and He says, Hey, Abraham, I want you to look up at the night sky. You see all those stars in the sky? One day your descendants will look just like that. They will be just as abundant. But Sarah, she's well past childbearing years at this point. She knows that this must be a promise broken. And so desperate for her husband to have a son, desperate for this promise in some way to be kept, Sarah takes matters into her own hands. She sets Abraham up with her servant Hagar and nine months later Ishmael is born. But Ishmael was not the child of promise, he was not this child of laughter, he was a child of desperation. But even with this desperate act of disobedience, God was not going to be done with Abraham, he was not going to be done with Sarah. In Genesis 17, again, God spoke to Abraham when he was 99 years old and told him that his wife Sarah was going to give birth to that promised son, Abraham, he could barely contain himself. The Bible says that he actually fell to the floor laughing. He knew this was just outrageous. This could never possibly happen. And then in chapter 18, God again tells Abraham, hey, just a year from now, your wife, Sarah, is going to give birth to a son. Sarah was 90 years old at that point, And Sarah, she is eavesdropping on this conversation, standing just outside the tent And she has the same reaction that Abraham had. She fell to the ground just laughing. She couldn't contain herself. She says, I am worn out and Abraham is old. How am I possibly going to give birth to a son? You See, Abraham and Sarah, they had lived long enough to know that good intentions sometimes result in broken promises. And they figured this must be the case with God as well because they knew one thing. They're far too old to be having kids now. Hope was lost. This was another broken promise. Or was it? Because you see, we get to Genesis chapter 21, and that's where we're going to pick up the story. And in Genesis 21, we see how this child of laughter, this child of promise, would foreshadow a child of hope. Let's dig in. Genesis 21, 1 through 7. It reads, "...the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised." And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Unbelievably, this promised child is born. And in the first two verses of chapter 21, God does not want us to miss the fact that this was a child of promise. I mean, did you catch it three times in those first two verses, this is repeated, just as God said, just as God has promised, God did just what he told you he would do. I mean, the the point is he's stressing the fact that this birth is a result of God fulfilling his promises a promise that he had made 25 long years prior. And after everyone had given up, after everyone had thought, surely this would be a broken promise, a laughable promise, God comes through. He keeps his word. You see, as people, we we view events from a limited perspective. It's, it's almost like trying to drive a car while you're looking through a straw. I mean, we're down here at street level and our vision can barely take in the landscape. God, however, he isn't constrained by time or human perspective. He views events from above and he's able to look down, taking in the whole panorama of everything. I mean, you go all the way from Genesis 1-1 and you stretch all the way to the end of everything and he sees it all at once. He's not constrained by time. I mean, while we get in a hurry worrying that we might be late for something... God doesn't have to rush because he maintains complete control over time. He's prearranged the unfolding of his plans to all happen at just the right time. I mean, it's narrowed down to less than nanosecond. And knowing this, well, it alleviates our worry. See, we know that God fulfills his promises at just the right time, so that we don't have to worry God fulfills his promises at just the right time so that we don't have to worry because for us I mean within the flow of time waiting often feels like an eternity I mean we hurry up to wait and we're all waiting for something I mean we're waiting for relief we're waiting for an answer to prayer we're waiting for a dream to be realized we're all waiting for something You know, people who grow deep in their relationship with God, they learn to wait with this sense of anticipation rather than a sense of worry. They they know that God keeps his promises so they don't worry whether or not the fulfillment of the promise will come, but they watch for when it will take place. And so now Abraham and Sarah, they had this child of promise, this child of laughter, Isaac, he's born, and he is named Isaac. Oh, the Bible doesn't want you to miss this. I mean, in verses 3 through 5, again, three times the name Isaac is repeated. Abraham called him Isaac. Isaac was circumcised. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. They don't want you to miss the fact that it is Isaac who was born. Why? Because way back in Genesis chapter 17... God had told Abraham that when your son is born, you are to name him Isaac. And now his son is born. And just as God has commanded, Abraham names his son Isaac. God had given Abraham another command too back in Genesis 17. He told Abraham that when your son Isaac is born, you are to circumcise him on the eighth day. And so again, just as God had commanded, Abraham does this as well. Isaac is circumcised on the eighth day. And here's the point. The fulfillment of promises always provides an opportunity for obedience. The fulfillment of promises provides opportunities for obedience. That was true for Abraham and Sarah, and it's true for us today. This this hasn't changed. God continues to make promises in his word for, for how it affects our life, and all of those promises are always providing opportunities for obedience. He promises us his presence, that he will be with us always, and tucked into the promise of his presence is this opportunity for obedience to go and make disciples. God promises that he will build his church in such a way that the gates of hell will not even prevail against it. And tucked inside this promise is an opportunity for how we are to function as the body of Christ. It provides opportunities for obedience, for pastors to equip the saints for the works of ministry, for elders to lead and to, and to oversee the ministry that's taking place, for deacons to, to serve widows and others who are unable to care for themselves. It provides opportunities for older men and older women to teach younger men and younger women. It provides opportunities for all of us to use our spiritual gifts to mutually benefit all of the family of God. See, all every promise provides an opportunity for obedience. Where there's conflict, God, God promises that when you go through conflict biblically, he says, I am right there with you. And so we have this this opportunity to, even as we experience conflict in our lives, to deal with it biblically, having this confidence that God is present with us. He's going to get us through this this conflict, this time of hardship. I haven't verified it, but it's been said that there are over 7,000 promises that God has made in the scriptures. And one thing we know about God is he's not like us. He doesn't break any of his promises. When God gives a promise, it's a promise kept. It's never a promise broken. From the smallest little promises, like just showing up, from these big promises, like having this old childless couple give birth to a son, a a child of promise, a child of laughter. And every single promise is an opportunity for obedience. Abraham and Sarah, they jump on the opportunity. They do just what God had commanded. They name their boy, Isaac. They have him circumcised on the eighth day. They follow through. And then, well, then it's time to rejoice. You see that in verses six and seven. This this old couple, they're rejoicing in the fulfillment of God's promises. I mean, Sarah says, God, you've made me to laugh. And everybody who hears this will be laughing. I mean, isn't that ironic? Because the last time we hear Abraham and Sarah laughing, it's because they heard that God said, you're going to have a son. Your name him is Isaac. And they're laughing. They're laughing a cynic's laugh, a laugh of disbelief, because they know this cannot possibly happen. They thought the promise of God was some kind of a joke. And now they're laughing again. But this time it's a different kind of laugh. It's a laugh... That's full of joy because their hearts are full. This son has been born to them. And they would keep laughing because that name Isaac, it means child of laughter. And the irony here just continues to drip off the page because the name Abram? Well it means exalted father. And the name Abraham means father of a multitude. And so you can imagine that every time prior when Abraham would have introduced himself and hello, my name is Abram, exalted father. Well, he's the father of no one. And then by the time he finally has a son, it's Ishmael, and this father of a multitude has one son, and it's not even from his wife. I mean, every time that Sarah would have said, this is my husband, every time that Abraham would have introduced himself, it probably would have elicited some kind of a chuckle because this was no father. This was no father of a multitude. This was his name was almost some kind of a cruel joke. But now Isaac is born, this child of laughter and the laughter that he would have brought into that house after so many years, painful years of waiting. Some of you know what that waiting can be like, this desperate longing to have children and for whatever reason, just not being able to. But others of you, you you know that after long years of waiting, then a child comes. And the joy that, that comes, the jubilation that then invades the house, because after the long wait, after all those tears, after all that pain, after so much heartbreak, well, then it gets replaced by oohs and ahs and laughter, over a little one who will smile, who will play peekaboo with you, a, a little baby whose smallest gestures, whose tiniest sounds, will they cause us to laugh. Babies tend to make us laugh, they give us laughs full of joy. That's what happens here. Abraham and Sarah in their old age, they're laughing. They're laughing a laugh of joy, and everyone who hears about it, well, they'll be laughing laughs of joy as well. You understand the fulfillment of God's promises? It prompts great rejoicing. And it still does. Today, with each of God's promises, it always prompts such great rejoicing. God promises that when we come to him, that he'll provide rest for our souls. We're able to lay the burdens of life just down at his feet. He provides rest. We're able to rejoice. We're able to laugh again. God promises that he has overcome the world so that we can have peace, so that our hearts can rest, so that we can rejoice again, so that we can laugh again. God promises that his power is made perfect in our weakness so that we can delight in our weaknesses so that we can laugh again, rejoice again, knowing that he is strong even when we are weak. God promises that he hears our prayers, that we can come to him in every situation and present it all to him. So that no matter what is going on in life, we can trust that God is a faithful God who hears, who listens, and can do something about it. And then we have peace. We're able to laugh again, rejoice again. The anxiety, the worry is removed. See, the fulfillment of God's promises, it prompts great rejoicing. You see it time after time after time with every promise of God, how we rejoice when these promises are fulfilled. If you need to laugh again, if you need to rejoice again, if your heart is just weary because of the brokenness of this world, search God's Promises, look through the scriptures, highlight promise after promise after promise, and then just rest in his truth, live this reality, and you'll be able to laugh again, you'll be able to rejoice again. It doesn't mean your circumstances will necessarily change right away, it's just your perspective that changes. I mean, you remember Abraham and Sarah, right? The promise is made, but for 25 long, hard years, the promise is not fulfilled, and they're still living with this pain and, and sometimes they take matters into their own hands, they don't handle it all that well, they're still dealing with the anxiety and the burdens of life. See present circumstances sometimes they cloud this larger reality but we live in a different time period than those wandering nomads we have the benefit of looking back across the span of history and seeing a God who makes promises to couples like Abraham and Sarah and seeing a God who makes promises to his people to his church we have the benefit of seeing a God who makes promise after promise and keeps promise after promise that there is never a promise broken so that even in the storms of life, we can walk in the reality of his word and we can trust that his promises are good and true and we can rejoice. God's promises, they lead to great rejoicing. This child of laughter, he reminds us of that, doesn't he? Isaac is born, his parents are laughing, the community is laughing. It's a good laugh, it's a laugh of joy. But you remember, God had made some other promises to Abram God had told Abraham, hey, you're also going to have this land and also through this family line of yours, through your lineage, through this nation that I am building up from you, all other nations will be blessed. So with still these other promises to be fulfilled in the thread of that last promise that all nations will be blessed through his lineage, well, that promise actually stretches all the way back to Genesis chapter three, verse 15. And in Genesis 3.15, you had the fall of humanity due to her sin. And then God speaks up and says, through the offspring of a woman, Satan's head will be crushed. Sin will be eradicated permanently forever. And so by the time Abraham and Sarah come on the scene, that promise was all but forgotten. Little did they know that this child of hope that was talked about even back in Genesis three would come from their line. Little did they know that this child of laughter who was just born would foreshadow this coming child of hope. So the whole story, the whole birth story of Isaac, it actually anticipates and causes us to anticipate the birth of this child of hope, the birth of Jesus. I mean, think about this with me for a little bit. The birth of Isaac was this supernatural conception in this old barren woman. And then his birth involves this miracle. And you think about the birth of Jesus. It was by a supernatural conception in this virgin woman. And his birth involved a miracle. The birth of Isaac was foretold long before the time of his birth. And his name was announced before he was born, the birth of Jesus, was foretold long, long before the time of his birth, and his name was announced beforehand as well. Abraham was confused when God promised him a son in his old age and that his old barren wife Sarah would give him this son. When Joseph found out that Mary was to be with child, he was equally confused. He had just planned that he would send Mary away privately to try to shield her from as much shame as possible. When the Lord came to Abraham and promised him a son by his 90-year-old wife, Sarah, well, it completely confused her because she overhears it and she considers this utterly impossible. And she even asked the question, how can this be since I am so old? God responded to her in Genesis eighteen thirteen and says, is anything impossible for God? When Mary hears that she is pregnant, she has the same response as Sarah. She's looking, how can this be? She asks the question, how can this be since I've never even known a man? The angel provides a similar response to to Mary in Luke chapter 1 verse 37. And he says, for nothing is impossible with God. The child of laughter helps us to believe and to trust the child of hope, knowing that what God told Sarah and many years later, what God told Mary is still true today, that nothing is impossible with God, that he can do whatever he wants. The fulfillment of these promises, it provides great opportunities for trust. It prompts this great rejoicing, even promises made to Abraham and Sarah so long ago about a child of of laughter it causes us to remember God's promises, a promise of redemption, of making all things right, of settling down the chaos of this world and reuniting everything under God's lordship so that he will be seen as all in all and he will get the glory. We see that, don't we, in these promises? We see that, in fact, nothing is, prom- is impossible with God. Even the greatest sinner, even you and me, can be redeemed simply by turning to Jesus Christ, this child of hope, believing that in him, nothing is impossible with God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in a world of so many broken promises, you are a God who always keeps your promises. And we know that you keep your promises at just the right time. And because of that, there's, there's these opportunities for obedience and it prompts great rejoicing. God, may we rejoice well because of our obedience this Christmas season. We ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your son, Jesus Christ, whom we love. Amen.